It's a phrase from popular movies. It's also a question that comes up in our daily life. The question is, is that even legal? We talk about the things that drive you crazy, the things you won't believe, and the things you need to know and understand. I'm attorney Bob Sewell, and this is the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Let's get started. Today's guest on the show is Chris Mays. Chris is an attorney general candidate for the state of Arizona. She is a professor of law at Arizona State University. She's ran her own law firm. She's, she, her area of emphasis is energy law. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. I, I think I got that introduction right. That's that's a, in a nutshell you, right? That's me, although you missed uh, my time on the Arizona Corporation Commission. I served two terms on the Arizona Corporation Commission in the 2000s, so I've been elected to statewide office uh, twice before. Uh, and, and as you know, the ACC is Arizona's elected Public Utilities Commission. Yes, and 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 uh, they do, a, you know, my opinion, they do a fantastic job. I lived in three states and uh, yeah, I don't know, it's four states now, but they do a fantastic, the Arizona Corporation Commission does a fantastic job for us. It's a great, it's a great uh, political body. Yes, um, it is. And it's wide, uh, pretty wide ranging. It's uh, it's really, uh, it's considered to be one of the most powerful public utilities commissions in the country, actually. Yeah. Um, and it ranges everything from obviously regulating the state's utilities to prosecuting civil securities fraud, to incorporating all the businesses in Arizona. If you want to start a business, as you may, you and your listeners may have used the Corporation Commission to to, to create a business, to create an LLC, um, yeah. and then also regulates railroad and pipeline safety. So I think a good platform from which to then, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, extend that experience to the Attorney General's office. So the reason I wanted to have you on, as you know, we're not a political show. It's a legal show. And we don't side with one party's politics or another on this show. What we do is we talk about law. And what sometimes we talk about what it could be or what it should be. And you're going to have an opportunity to shape Arizona law. And it's a mighty responsibility. And and not like a legislature, but how it operates how it's effective, affected, and uh, it goes out and how the law goes out and actually gains enforcement. You know, as lawyers, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer, and we think about law differently than consumers of the law do. And so today I want to talk a little bit about your philosophical approach to the extent we can, um, rather than political talking points, taglines, soundbites, nothing like that. So one of the things that I had uh, in my mind as we as we talk today is an attorney general is really running one of the largest law firms in the state and it's not a law firm in that is trying to you know collect money and clients and it it is just is a huge number of attorneys that's and right it's a huge practice area you know you, you will be confronted, the attorney general's office is confronted with anywhere from deadbeat parents, child dependency law, antitrust law, constitutional law, criminal law, and much, much more. And that's not easy. What keeps you up at night? 
what's what's what are you going to focus on first? Well, Bob, that's that that is a really good encapsulation of what the Attorney General's office is, and you're absolutely right. It is the top it is the largest law firm in the state of Arizona and you can think of the attorney general as the sort of managing partner of that law firm we're talking about more than 400 attorneys a thousand uh, total employees including agents um, who who are um, badged uh, investigators um, and so and and you're right you've got you know a civil division a criminal division you've got an office of civil rights. You've got an environmental division, uh, the attorney general's office does, um, and uh, obviously um, as uh, other issues, as you pointed out. What keeps me up at night? Well, a couple things. Number one, um, and what am am I going to focus on? I'm going to focus on, first and foremost, uh, depoliticizing the attorney general's office. I think it has been badly politicized in, in recent years. Um, by the current attorney general. And so my number one focus is doing what's in the public interest and being an attorney general uh, for all of the people of Arizona, regardless of political party, whether you're Republican and independent or a Democrat, you should not, uh, no one should uh, think or believe that the attorney general is is um, enforcing the law in a way that is, you know, uh, tilted toward any particular party. Um, what keeps me up at night? Uh, wow, so many things. But number one, we need an attorney general who will uphold the rule of law and who will protect our election system. Uh, system. And uh, we we have, uh, I'm running against someone who I know you're going to interview, who uh, does not really believe in democracy and who has called for the decertification of the 2020 election. And so protecting the rule of law, upholding the rule of law, protecting our elections, also protecting our elections officials. We are increasingly seeing Elections officials who are under attack, who are under harassment, um, who are being threatened with 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 even death. Um, and I've said, you know, we're going to prosecute anyone who in- interferes with or um, engages in that kind of harassment against elections officials. Um, that is the the first thing that keeps me up at night. But there's more. But let me let me push back on you because you know. I I have had in my personal life I've had to interact with the uh, foster care system and the dependency system with the and with the state of Arizona I I am personally a foster parent and the the system is tough you know I mean you you have you have just from a very managerial standpoint you have attorneys investigators that it's a constant revolving door and this and and so you have and you know that the attorney general it's well known among attorneys the attorney general's office is a revolving door you 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 get started with the young attorneys they start to become useful and as you know an attorney isn't useful till they hit about five years they're very useful till they hit that that time point they you know they they need constant supervision until they hit five years and then they're really not good until they hit like 10 years and so 
And you don't know that when you're a young attorney until you hit the five-year mark and you finally stop sweating at night about your cases and 10-year mark until you finally somewhat feel comfortable. And But it's a revolving door. And it's the most vulnerable population, abused children. What do we do? Well, you know what? You are right. And, and this is why I'm so focused on depoliticizing this office. The first thing we have to do is have an attorney general who can attract the best and the brightest um, attorneys, uh, number one, who will be the kind of leader that attorneys want to stay with. So one of the reasons we have a revolving door is we have an attorney general right now who has politicized the office. Um, number two, we need uh, we need someone who will lead this office in an apolitical way, who will put resources on the kinds of issues you just raised. Um, we you know we don't need resources being diverted away from, for instance. Uh, consumer fraud uh, protection and consumer fraud prosecution. That is another area. And in addition to the area you identified, that's another area that is a core duty um, of the attorney general's office. But we have an AG right now who diverted millions of dollars away from that into something he called his federalism unit, which was really just a, a high profile, highly political highly charged uh, unit designed to, to um, you know, kind of get them on Fox News. That's not the kind of attorney general I will be. I will be the kind of attorney general that I was a corporation commissioner. Um, and by the time I had left the corporation commission, they called my commission the best commission in 50 years. And that's because we trusted the lawyers and the leaders in our division to lead um, and we led by example, by working hard and, and believing in the mission of the Corporation Commission. We need to do that again with the Attorney General's office. And you're absolutely right, Bob. There is an exodus happening. And uh, trust me, if my opponent wins this election, that exodus will only grow worse. Let me change the subject a little bit here. Um, something that... Um, strikes people on both sides of the political spectrum is what we're going to touch on here. Everyone has heard is if you're an American, you've heard the law should be applied evenly. No citizen is above the law. However, in practice, attorneys generals, state and federal, county attorneys are often faced with the realities of prosecuting, you know, the law which they may or may not think is a good law, you know, and it's, it's happens on both ends of the political spectrum where they think this is, or is not a good law. And sometimes um, some prosecuting attorneys have said, you know, at the higher levels have said, no, we're not, it's not, that's not part of my worldview. I don't like it. And so either they ignore the law or they refuse to enforce it. And, you know, as a, as a guy who is sensitive to separation of powers and things like that, I always, that struck me as odd. We have a term for it. And it, the term's called, you know, selective enforcement. There might be other terms called. Um, it might be, there might be other names for it, but, and I don't, I, like I said, I'm not, interested in any political 
uh, one, you know, any specific examples, people will think of them on their own. So how do we feel about selective enforcement generally? Well, generally speaking, I'm not in favor of that. Um, I think that, you know, an attorney general or a prosecutor must enforce the law. Um, what I what I think, uh, you know, that there are some some uh, some differences, though, um, between, um, you know, obviously the duty to enforce law and the duty to not enforce unconstitutional laws. So, yeah, for, a, you know, that's, and that's a push, big difference. Let me that's push back on you that because because okay. and, I, and that's where I want to talk about a little legal philosophy here, because sometimes. Now, our legislature is perfect. They never make mistakes, right? Um, but sometimes the legislature comes down with the law. It's unconstitutional. Blatantly unconstitutional. Blatantly yeah. unconstitutional. Yeah. What do you do? Your duty isn't to the legislature necessarily, right? You swore, swear no to the Arizona and the Correct. United States Constitution. What do you do? How do you make that decision? Well, look, I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about, Bob. I'm talking about, you know, if there is if the legislature passes a blatantly unconstitutional law or if there is a blatantly unconstitutional law on the books, a.k.a. the 1864 abortion ban that our current attorney general is trying to impose on the women of our state, I will not enforce that. Um, and I've been very clear about that. And, and I'm glad you're asking this question about our judicial, our, 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 our philosophy on the law. And, and my philosophy is if it's a blatantly unconstitutional law, and in particular one that was written in 1864, um, that is now unconstitutional pursuant to Article 2, Section 8, um, the, the express right to privacy that we have in the state of Arizona, then no, I think it's, you're, it is the duty of the attorney general to not enforce it. Um, when, I, when I take the oath of office in January, the oath will be to the Constitution, the Constitution of the state of Arizona and the United States Constitution. And so that's an important distinction. And I think that's important to get that on the record for anybody who's running for any office, especially one where, where you're involved in the enforcement of law. And, you know, the same was true when I was a corporation commissioner. But there's, you know, obviously it's it's even more uh, even more uh, acute here. But Chris, how important. does that let me let me push back a little harder, because you do have an obligation to enforce the law as an attorney general. And sometimes it's not clear whether it's constitutional or not, or it might be on the edge. How do you make that distinction? How do you honor your obligation? Well, I mean, I think, again, the the idea is that you if there's something that is blatantly unconstitutional, a.k.a. an 1864 law. I mean, think of if you if you were being asked to, um, you, you know, uh, if you were being asked to impose on the people of Arizona just for the sake of argument, a law that was blatantly uh, unconstitutional and blatantly discriminatory. You wouldn't enforce that either, would you? So, uh, you know, 
You don't enforce a blatantly discriminatory law, nor do you enforce a blatant a law that blatantly violates Article 2, Section 8 of the Arizona Constitution. Now, with regard to the abortion issue, obviously the Arizona Supreme Court is going to have to decide this, right? Right. And it has not decided yet whether that 1864 law violates Article 2, Section 8 of the Constitution. Um, I think it needs to get to the Arizona Supreme Court and then Ultimately, because uh, this is, you know, such a, an issue of great concern for the women, especially of the state of Arizona, but also the men uh, of Arizona, it's something that I think is going to be decided in two years by b- ballot initiative. Um, and we'll see what the people of Arizona say. I think that the vast majority of the people of Arizona are going to side with privacy and our constitution. So let me let me push a little harder on this because there are times because you, and you brought it up a little bit. There are times when enforcing the law is clearly doing more harm than good, you know. Or, or it's you know. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, you know, a, a, as a a you know a, a Christian guy, I happen to believe in in the power of you know of redemption and change right i i like the concept that i can you know overcome my past self and become anew okay that's my personal philosophy and then there are times when the law when applied especially the the uh when you tie the judge's hands about how much to punish a criminal conflicts with that penitent heart that may or may not be present, but that I might perceive as a prosecutor as as present. And so I see this and I say, if I enforce the law, I harm someone. I mean, I'm not saying saying that that we shouldn't, that I'm not some bleeding heart, right? But there are some times when we enforce the law and it harms you know, it harms an individual or a family or, you know, or, or something else. The law on a whole seems like a great idea, but when applied on an individual basis, it's not so great. How do you respond to that? You know, I, I think that, that may be true, uh, but that but there's a difference between what, we're, what we were just talking about, which is, you know, a law that is blatantly unconstitutional. Um, and that's the, that is the line that I draw, you know, you, 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 you may be right. There, there could be laws that, that you have to enforce that could be perceived that it's harmful. Um, but you know, that it it still is a law that the legislature has passed. Right. And so it has to be enforced. Um, but there, the line that I draw personally and the line that I think any lawyer has to draw um, and certainly any lawyer who is going to be attorney general is that yeah. you not enforce uncon- blatantly unconstitutional laws. Um, so that's that's where I would draw the line, you know, and and, um, you know, so and there are so many, so many areas that, um, as you pointed out at the top of the show, um, where the attorney general has got to put her or his 
attention. You know, one of those areas that we haven't talked about yet that that I intend to focus on is is Arizona's water supplies. Um, And I will focus on that through the environmental division of the AG's office. We have a situation right now um, in which the state land department, and as you know, the attorney general will advises all state agencies. Um, Our current state land department, um, apparently under the advice of the current attorney general, is allowing a Saudi-owned corporation called Fondamonte to lease thousands of acres of land in Western Arizona. And is we are not, the state is not charging them a dime for the water. That is insane. It's also unconstitutional. So, you know, one of my duties as attorney general will be to advise the state land department, hey, under the constitution and the gift clause of the constitution, you're not allowed to give away Arizona's water for free to the Saudis. Um, hard to believe that I'm even we're even saying that 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 this this is even happening at a time when, you know, the Saudis are literally holding us over a barrel over over oil supplies and gasoline driving up gasoline prices in Arizona. But that's what's happening. And when I'm attorney general, I will advise the state land department that it's unconstitutional. There are so many issues that that we've got to deal with uh, at the AG's office. That's interesting because we are going to do an entire episode on Sa- that Saudi water deal and water law generally. We may need to look at from a state perspective, from a legislative perspective, that we rethink how we allocate land, how we allocate water, how we lease it out to people. Um, because we are going to be, we are going to face continuing shortages of water. And our biggest water consumers is agriculture. And as you know, we have a significant investment in agriculture and agriculture business, and it's, they're very difficult problems. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things I, when I first came to the state of Arizona, I, I joined this attorney club and, you know, and this guy, he had, was new to Arizona. He was, he came to work for the um, Maricopa County uh, court system. And I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm a special master. And I said, what are you special master of? And he says, well, I, I do uh, water. And he, and I'm like, what are you going to do when the water litigation goes away? And he says, it'll never go away. <laughs> Sadly, that's probably true or or almost true. Yeah, it's a huge issue. And and we need an attorney general. And I would be that person who has some experience in this area. When I was a corporation commissioner, I regulated 350 water utilities. I understand groundwater law. I understand surface water law. Um, I understand these issues. And I also understand that we are in a crisis right now. I mean, all Arizonans know that we are in a crisis right now. And you are absolutely right. We have got to rethink and re-up and revamp the 1980 groundwater law um, that Bruce Babbitt um, and others came together and crafted. But we need to, you know, we need to uh, reform it because our rural counties in particular are are just getting slammed by a lot of this sort of out of state and now even foreign owned um, 
you know, uh, you know, ag, um, and it's depleting the water supplies uh, right at the time when we're about to need them. Yeah, I mean, 40, 40 plus years ago when they or whatever it was when they crafted that law, I, I think it was a, it was and remains a fantastic piece of legislation. Totally. Um, you know, that not to say that it doesn't need to be looked at again, not to say that we don't need to change. Yeah, I totally agree. It was great for its time. It was revolutionary for its time. It got us through the last 40, 50 years. Um, but we are um, we are right up against it right now. Lake Mead is crashing. Lake Powell is crashing. We are less than 150 feet from Deadpool status, which means that we are going to the 21 percent cutback that we got on Colorado our Colorado River water supplies is about to look like child's play, and um, Lake uh, and and Hoover Dam. Uh, we will no longer be able to uh, produce hydroelectricity from it when we hit Deadpool status. So it's just bonkers, Bob, that our state land department is leasing um, land and giving away our water for free to to the Saudis at a time like this. Let me let me switch the subject. I, I I'm absolutely fascinated by water law, but let me switch the subject. Arizona likes to think of itself as a business-friendly environment. And we we sell that to the world, to the to the world, to the country, to our, you know, to our neighboring states, that we will take a laissez-faire approach. That's what we try to sell to then our neighbors. And you may or may not agree with that, but that's generally what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're seeing, though, is consolidation in the industries and a lot of industries. You know, we call these um, uh, oligopolies. This one. Hang on. That time it was my cell phone. Um, we'd call these we call these oligopolies. Right. Um, or some people do. And let me let me give you a couple a couple examples. I don't generally give examples. Let me give a couple examples. Here's a story I heard about several years ago. And think to yourself, a small town. There's not a lot around around it, but it's a small town. And it had an absolutely true story, by the way. And I won't say how I know, but it's an absolutely true story. And in this small town, they had two hospitals. One is a Catholic hospital. One is more modern in a better part of town. A secular hospital, right? And Catholic hospitals are are important because they cater to the certain religious community, and but generally their services are limited. Like for example, they wouldn't have family planning services, okay? And and there was an older hospital, and so it didn't have as just as much going on at that hospital. While you go to the more modern hospital, and it had all the services you can get. So when you're a doctor, if you want to practice in this small town, you're going to have to have privileges at the modern hospital if you're going to do all the other services or need those services. And and you may choose, if you want to cater to the more religious conservative uh, population, you may also choose to have the Catholic hospital in in your privileges as well. Well, Modern Hospital then says, 
if you want to have privileges at our hospital, you can't have privileges at the Catholic hospital. And it ends up creating, and it had, it had the perfect effect. And of course, no one's paying attention. The, the attorney general is not paying attention. And it had the effect over the course of 20 years that the Catholic hospital went away. And now we got one major player and a failing hospital. And then the Catholic and the, and the secular hospital buys out the Catholic hospital and then they got one player. And so I'm looking here in Arizona and we have people or entities that own, you know, there's just two or three of them and they own everything from doctor's practices um, to Instacares and urge slash urgent cares to emergency rooms, to hospitals. And if you think about it from an employee's perspective, and if you think about it from a consumer perspective, my, my Sherman antitrust uh, person and me starts to freak out, right? Right. And, but then we don't, it's just not that either. It's not just hospitals where we have two or three players. It's now going to be the food industry. There's a Kroger-Albertsons deal. Kroger-Albertsons is a great example. 24% of groceries bought will be from one entity. The other, another 26% from Costco and from Walmart. And so we're going to have three companies in Arizona managing 70%. And we have the exact same issue with cell phones. And we have the exact same issue with media almost, right? Well, not quite the same issue because we have these outlets like ours, right? But the major outlets. So how yeah. do we, this is this is the question. I don't, I don't expect you to comment on a specification unless you want to, but how do you know whether it's time to enforce Arizona's antitrust laws? Uh, that is an excellent question, and I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the the Kroger Albertsons uh, uh, situation because I've actually already commented on that on social media, um, and I've said, and I've promised the people of Arizona that I will take a very close look at that um, merger um, under uh, antitrust laws. Um, and I'm sure there were, are going to be other AGs in other states uh, where uh, these two companies operate who will be taking a very close look at that. And I will join with them um, in, in, in uh, closely examining this. Um, here's my philosophy, you know, uh, on this. And I, and I come at this, frankly, having been the regulator of monopolies. Okay. Um, so, right. I'm a former corporation right, yeah. commissioner. I know a lot about monopolies. It's all about um, monopolies. <laughs> I am, uh, probably, I am definitely the candidate for attorney general who knows the most about monopolies and having regulated them for seven and a half years. And the the and and it is a problem because the situations you're describing have no regulation, right? So mm -hmm. you're we, we you're describing you know when when you're talking about utilities, monopoly utilities, you have regulators who are standing in the place of competition, mm -hmm. regulators who who say to the utilities, you can't raise your prices unless you come to us first and prove that you should be able to raise your prices. So that's what regulation is. It sort of yeah. stands in the place of competition. But when you're talking about groceries, 
in these or hospitals, the other example that you raised, which is a really good one, there's no there's no regulator that says to those entities, you don't get to raise your prices because just because you have market power. They can raise their prices if they have that kind of market power. And that's why we have antitrust laws to make sure that if you have a situation like that, where you have amassed so much market power in a given market that you have to say no. And so, you know, I don't want to I don't want to prejudge um, that particular merger sure. or any particular uh, situation. But, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, that is a lot of market power. Um, uh, that that we're looking at in that Kroger Albertson situation, and then you like you if you throw in you know one or two other uh, players, you're right. It, it it starts to look very unhealthy for the people of Arizona at a time of inflation. You know, I mean, I think you know when you throw in a, a lack of competition and 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 you know inflation that's already tough, that's a bad situation for the people of Arizona. Um, so I'm going to take a very um, hawkish view uh, on on these kinds of things. What and, and and so so you obviously believe, and then one of my questions was going to be whether or not anti regulation antitrust regulation is dead. Let me ask you a little, get a little bit deeper on it. This shouldn't philosophy. be dead. It, it shouldn't, shouldn't be. I believe in competition. I think competition is a good thing. Let me let me push you a little bit on antitrust, and it's something that I'm just interested in, and I I. I did intern for the uh, for the antitrust section, which makes me absolutely have a the Pennsylvania Attorney General, which makes me absolutely useless, but it makes me interested, <laughs> right? But the but one of the things that I learned and that I have found interesting about antitrust, it's just it's not all about price. Antitrust is 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 about competition, right? And and it's about the philosophy that. If you have competition, it spurs creativity. Right. And Correct. competition is and that choice is important. Comment. What do you think? No, I think that's right. Um, it, it does spur creativity and um, it also brings, um, you know, diversity, diversity of choice Um and that is a good thing for consumers. And and again, I, I kind of harken back to my to my experience as a corporation commissioner. And one of the reasons that I was so pro solar um, was that I believe that eventually we are going to get to a situation in Arizona and other states, especially sunny states, where people can pr- provide their own power to themselves, um, and and basically be sort of mini utilities at each home because you'd be able to have a battery pack, solar panels, and you'd be able to produce your own electricity and you'd be able to divorce yourself from the monopoly. Um, And I think that kind of competition is a good thing and it eventually will be good for the utilities. But it's like you say, it feels as if we're going in the wrong direction in a lot of other industries. Um, and, and the healthcare industry is a good example. Um, I've heard a lot about that kind of consolidation on the campaign trail. And I just don't think that 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 leads to a healthy situation for the for the people of Arizona. Obviously, you know, I, the drawing that that bright line is hard 
as you probably found out in in you know in Pennsylvania. But um, but I don't think antitrust should be dead. Yeah, and I and I one of the things that I learned about is, and we talked about, and as I talked to people in the community, and I especially in in if we think about just healthcare, because that's something that we all impacts all of us. If I have a doctor's practice and I want to and I want to participate in a particular hospital system, well, we all know who we have to supplicate to if I have that doctor's practice. And then I have to bend myself to those rules and I have to maybe sell a portion of my business to them or or set prices in a certain way or you know these types of things or maybe practice in a certain way. And suddenly as a consumer, I lack the choice on how to and what philosophy of practice I want to get. Maybe I want an aggressive little cavalier doctor that's willing to take chances or and not someone who's necessarily worried about litigation. I might want that aggressive doctor versus maybe someone who's more conservative. And, and I think that's an okay thing. You know, we it'll it obviously you know it has a downsides, but but the, but I lose that choice when I when I institutionalize over vast majorities of the market. Yeah, no, I, you and I, Bob, you and I agree a lot on this topic, and um, and so I I I I I do agree with you about that. Um, and I think that the people of Arizona probably agree with us on this. And, you know, it's it's up to, you know, the, when you really think about it, um, there aren't too many folks, too many, too many entities that can can take antitrust law and apply it. Right. And and, you know, the attorney attorneys general are uh, among those uh, entities. And so I think, you know, antitrust law ought not be dead. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we should not, I think we've, for some reason, and, and, and you might know better than most having practiced in this area, but for some reason, um, antitrust has, has gone by the wayside in some ways, and it has not been, you know, really enforced, um, by a lot of states and by the federal government. And I think there's maybe a, a tendency to want to go along to get along or somehow that it's just, they think it's too hard. I don't know what it it's, is, but it's not good. When I've talked to my friends in the industry, when I, when I, my brief dabbling, it's incredibly difficult. And it puts a target on the backs of politicians and uh, attorney generals and stuff, but it's, and the, on top of that, it's, it's, it, you know, it's easy when, when it was, when we we're trust busting uh, one oil company that managed everything. Right. Right. That's, right. that's, that's the easy one. The harder example is when you have two or three players. Right. And when there's competition, but it's an but it's not a lot of competition where they're really offering the same thing or it's just so much consolidation, you can't deal with it. And then the other thing is. You it involves it's so complicated because you have to hire economists and and you have to hire statisticians and and then you have to have uh, legal staff that has the energy for it. 
I mean, right. A price fixing case is easy. Hey, let's all agree to fix our prices. Right. You can find the evidence. That one's easy. But everything else is hard. All those and and for example, I remember an investigation where we had to look at um we had to look at uh consolidation in an industry. And so we we had to say, okay, how far are people willing to travel for services? Because people will say, well, there's competition 50 miles away. Well, it's 50 miles away. Well, <laughs> I could drive 50 miles. You know, haven't you heard of a car? You know, <laughs> so how far are people willing to drive for services? And that that was the, so you could identify the competition circle. Well, that's really hard. And what happens when you have 50 miles, 50 miles, 50 miles, you know, and everyone's interspersed, that's hard. Yeah. I I personally think it's because it's really hard to get to the the level of few actors. When you have few actors playing, that's hard to enforce. It's hard to figure out. There's a lot of economists involved. But like I said, price price fixing, easy. One player in in an industry, easy. Everything else hard. Right. Agreed. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really fun. Thank you, Bob. This has been a fascinating conversation. I appreciate you. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Is That Even Legal? Remember, this isn't legal advice. If you have a legal question for yourself, reach out to an attorney. Remember that we're fun. We're lovable. And we are here to help you. To my listeners in 62 countries across the world, if you have something you want to explore, email us at producer at evenlegal.com. And don't be shy about leaving a review for this podcast on your favorite podcast forum. See you next time.